The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry with Joe McGill. Good morning, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm Joe McGill and you're listening to the Saturday Supplement and I hope I find you well wherever you are listening to us around the world on radiocarry.ie or on the traditional wireless. What a glorious morning it is this morning driving here. It's absolutely um, beautiful and um, I often tell you this, you know, on my drive up, I kind of come through Kells Bay, so I look across at West Kerry, and I swear this morning it was as if the sleeping giant in the blaskets woke up and got his paintbrush and drew it across the sky. This wonderful kind of a fog was hanging between the water and the hilltops and the coastline there. It was just kind of lingering, and it was coming all the way from Cremon, and as I drove into Clorgland, the fog was actually down on the town there, so you couldn't actually see it as spectacular as it looked, and it was going right across um, into Clarny and further on. So that fog was linking across the whole uh, county uh, this morning, so just be aware of that as well if you're driving, but it was absolutely beautiful um, to see, and it kind of gave me the real impression of summer this morning now, and uh, I heard Abigail on earlier, but I missed the first part about what's the difference between fog and mist. Is it fog and mist? Abigail, you have to tell me what the difference is between um, those. Uh, fog is in the morning. All right. Thank you, Abigail. So that's the um, uh, difference between the, <laughs> the two there. Um, but again, it was just, uh, it gave me a real sense of summer. And uh, Abigail mentioned as well, I heard her earlier about our photography slot with Dominic Walsh. And our theme for next month, the first Saturday of the month, is You Are My Sunshine. So today, I think it's a great opportunity to get out and take those photos. No, it doesn't necessarily have to be of the sun. It can be someone that is the sunshine to you or something that represents um, the sunshine and happiness in your life. Um, uh, life Live. I was at a live event yesterday and that was the name of it. Um, a real interesting initiative between um, Wales and uh, South Kerry. And it's really to promote sustainable uh, living and sustainable tourism and it was an absolutely fascinating event the calibre of people, academics that were at it was uh, uh, unbelievable it was, it was all day and I was kind of uh, they asked me to be the host which I was delighted to do and it was from 10 till half 4 so we'll bring you an interview um, from that uh, but it's very interesting to see what they're actually doing in Clen and uh, in uh, over in Wales and there's a few names there I was finding it hard to, to, to pronounce I can tell you that but the, the love of their their native language as well and what they're doing there is uh, fairly impressive and uh, I suppose the different kind of um, tourism initiatives they're doing but the, the whole idea is that you leave the place in a better way than you found it so even the visitors that visit an area as well are kind of um, conscious about how they do interact uh, with um, a place which I thought was very interesting and it was uh, the, there was community tourism was spoke about it at it as well but I'll bring you an interview, interview from that um, a little later on very busy 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 program we'll be speaking um, to Kate Kennelly of uh, 
Kerry County Council, Arts Officer with Kerry County Council about what's going on in this wonderful county of ours in Creative Kingdom. We'll have a part- particular focus on this All Writers Week and also um, K-Fest, wonderful events taking place the June Bank Holiday Weekend. We'll also be speaking to John G. O'Dwyer on his latest book titled 50 Best Irish Walks Easy to Moderate. Again, with a particular focus on the five great walks from Kerry that are included within like the, like the likes of uh, Hags um, Glen. And we'll also have our second episode of Blossom of Kerry, produced by Maureen Nivahuna, a unique eight-part series where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of food, family food businesses represented in Kerry. And we'll be speaking to Schlieve Luker Strawberries, um, which uh, I'm really looking forward to as well, John O'Sullivan uh, there in Curl. So, I wasn't joking when I said we have a very busy programme, as we always do. And also, I, before I forget it, thanks a million to all of you who tune in. Um, our listenership figures are up, which is fantastic, and Radio Kerry's listenership figures are just absolutely uh, amazing. Um, over 31,000 people tune into the Saturday Supplement every morning. So, thanks a million um, for that. We don't take you for granted, or you for granted, for a minute. And um, I hope you'll be staying with us uh, until 11 o'clock. Clock. Now, um, I always love to bring this man on the program every once in a while um, because he is an expert in every sense of the world. Word when it comes to birds, he's Tom Lynch from Dingle. Tom, how are you this morning? Good morning, John. Good morning, sure. Listeners tuned in to Radio Kelly this morning. Very good. And before I brought you on with a particular bio we wanted to talk about the cuckoo, but before we talk about the cuckoo, every morning now I'm I'm awoke uh, with, uh, and this is the great thing I suppose about living in Kerry, even if you're even in the town, is you get to hear this wonderful dawn chorus. So what am I hearing when I'm uh, awoken from my slumber? Um, uh, that's my alarm clock in the morning. What am I hearing there? Well, more, more than likely, you're hearing birds like a Blackbird, a robin, a dunnock, a wren, chaffinch, grey tit, blue tit, swallow, or maybe a songfish or something like that. That's they're the common birds of the down chorus. But uh, you could, uh, as as the season goes on, uh, new migrants add in, you know. Um, but they, they they'd be common around most houses, around most gardens, and so on. Uh, probably the the better singers in those, from my point of view, would be the likes of the blackbird and the songfish. But the robin, of course, sings all year round. One of the few that does, because it's it's uh, territorial. It, it likes to, even when the breeding season is over. Uh, all the other birds, uh, the the males, it's mainly the males that sing. Uh, they sing during the breeding season to mainly protect their territory, mainly to say, "I'm here. I survived the night. Uh, I'm a good singer." Of course, it's at that time of the morning as well as it's after dark and predators can't see them but um, they, 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 that's that's what the, the dawn chorus is about but the robin when the breeding season is over continues to sing because the robin has its own little bit of territory that it defines for itself and uh, it sings throughout the year to protect that territory and to keep other robins out of that territory uh, every bird is only singing to its own species it's only concerned about a blackbird is singing to tell other blackbirds I'm here this is my territory this is my spot I'm a good singer the better the singer probably the healthier the bird and so on yeah that's amazing um, That I didn't really ever think about that you know you just think birds are singing away yeah, but they're singing to their own kind they're singing to they're singing to their own kind and they're singing also to to protect the territory they're probably singing to their mate on the nest as well 
but it's it is really territorial. That the, uh, to us, it's very uh, nice to listen to. There's a certain amount of aggression in it for themselves. It's yes, pro- it's protect, protective of their area. Their um, because they're, they're 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 really concerned about um, nesting and rearing a brood and so on. So it, that's what it's all about uh, at this time of the year, you know. So um, it it is go on for about I suppose goes on into June. With some species, it goes on a bit longer. Things like birds like uh, linnets and yellowhammer and uh, greenfinch and so on. They nest maybe into July, you know, so into August, but. Um, for most birds, it kind of finishes up around end of May into June kind of thing. You'll notice the chorus begins to die down. Yeah. You won't be much singing in the morning, but now, now May is the real height of the, the down chorus. Like, it's for uh, a lot of branches of Bordeaux now have uh, their down, the national down chorus outing tomorrow morning. Really? Uh, the, the European one was last weekend. They only had this and radio thing from 12 o'clock until 7 in the morning but that's a European that's a European down course day national down course day is a week later because we're a bit further west and a lot of our migrants don't arrive a little, a little bit later for example um, house martins oh, I, I saw the first house martins of the year around me here in Gaffney yesterday um, and migration was a little bit slower for a lot of species this year because we had a lot of northerly winds so birds were slower coming against it. It's, it's harder for them to, to, to migrate when there's an orderly wind because actually it's, it's like ourselves, like a football match playing into the wind, you're at a bit of a disadvantage. So they kind of wait and they wait for the winds to change and so on and they're slower to come. But there a lot I have arrived in the last couple of days. Weather like this now is fantastic for them, you know, and a bit of a southerly wind and southwest wind tomorrow and so on will bring more people would notice that have swallowed and so on. Maybe some of them are only back in the last week or so. You know, so okay. Yeah. okay. There's some 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 springs uh, both can arrive a little bit earlier, but um, in, in this year was slow enough. I, I felt anyway it was yeah um, we, we've finished a documentary on the lighthouses of Kerry and um, in that Des Lavelle is featured and uh, he talks about the skelligs and how you know the lighthouse keepers kind of knew the seasons by the way the birds were coming and going yeah uh, with, heard that, yeah, with the puffins and the gannets yeah. and all that it's amazing isn't it yeah. the seabirds for example uh, start to come back to the cliffs in late January February just taking up position on the on the where, where the seabirds nest on the cliffs or on the skeletons whatever they wouldn't all arrive back but some start to arrive back and then they're all more or less back by now you know yeah. and um, it's, it's all about getting getting your positions like it, it's like going into the match and getting your place in the stand you know, would they have the same position? Like they wouldn't necessarily have no. the same position but they're, they're, some positions are better than others for example if you were higher up on a cliff with a good ledge you're better off than someone lower down yeah. you know on a, on, a, on a narrow ledge or whatever you know that there are better better places and you know to like any situation like that where there's a crowd of people that there are better places to be <laughs> than so the earlier you get state. in <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> exactly the earlier you get it, you, the earlier you get there you have the choice when you're there early so they, they, they have to come back and then as as once we go on for example say anyone going out to 
the skellings down saying June there'll be lots of puffins and so on but if you leave it later go out in August most of the seagulls will be gone you know so it's it's, it's really it depends when you, when you when you go you know what you'll see and the same with looking at the birds along the cliffs from, from the lands of the cliffs tomorrow or anywhere like that um, you're, at the peak of the season you could have 30,000 birds nesting there and then when you go back in a few months nothing except a few birds flying by you know yeah very good very very good uh, Tom stay with us we're going to go to break and we'll talk about the cuckoo then the Saturday supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly Hogan's Funeral Home Tralee you're listening to the Saturday supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry Jeez, Billy, I haven't danced around the kitchen floor in ages. I must start doing that again. It's, it's good old crack. Round the house and mind the dresser. Now, I was looking, um, I was online there f- a few weeks ago, and you know the way these things come up in your feed, different videos, and there was one video of uh, this little bird, and the title was The Cuckoo, and it had no feathers. It was after coming out of the egg, and it was there with other eggs in the nest and no feathers and the kind of eyes, you know, closed over. And he was using his bottom to push the other eggs and kept pushing them, pushing them, pushing them and pushed them out of the nest and I thought, isn't nature amazing and that's why I wanted to bring Tom Lynch, bird expert on from Dingle, but before I bring Tom back in let's have a listen to the cuckoo Yeah, there it is. Uh, Tom, there's other things going on there in the background, uh, but uh, that, that it's very distinctive, isn't it, the call of the cuckoo? Very, very distinctive. It's two notes. Um, sometimes uh, it's a bit confused with things like collar dove and wood pigeon. You, that's when you hear people saying that they have the cuckoo in February. Mm. Uh, they're probably hearing the collar dove, which is, has three notes, and the wood pigeon, which has five. But the cuckoo is very, very distinctive, and you'll always hear the cuckoo kind of I suppose from April on, the first cuckoos have to arrive back in early April, and then you would hear them singing away in April, especially in May, a bit in June, and after that, that's it. Like the old rhyme, the cuckoo comes in April, sings a song in May, in the middle of June, changes its tune, July it flies away. Now there was a version of West Kerry that if the cuckoo comes in April, sings a song in May, in the middle of June, it sucks its clove, and July it flies away. Now to me, it sucks its clove. Uh, is plumage so yeah. what it was basically doing was preening in uh, anticipation of migrating getting yeah. its feathers getting itself in proper order to, to migrate uh, that, that's the adult cuckoo that's the male that sings okay. uh, the female makes a little burbling gurgling burbling kind of sound a bit like um, a little grebe if anyone is familiar with that on lakes and so on the, the dab chick but the, the male sings uh the male and the female then go around uh, when they pair up they go around in a sort of reconnaissance mission they watch all the small birds in the area particular interest in Ireland in the meadow pipit which is the main bird it predates and um, they watch those birds building their nests and they watch them until that laying eggs and then usually what happens is when they they, they, they pick out and and they suck the nest that the female is going to lay an egg on. The male flies over the nest or in the area, and of course, because it resembles a bird of prey, all the other small birds get up to chase it away, and up comes the female to chase it away, the yeah. female meadow pivot. And while they're all chasing the male, 
the female cuckoo pops in, drops her egg in the nest, and usually takes out an egg that's in the nest so that the amount of eggs will be the same, even though <laughs> the nest basically sort of look the same. Now, the birds can't count, so even if it doesn't take out an egg, uh, very often the female meadow pipit won't cop on when it goes back. There's actually four eggs in the nest. There was only three when I left. Yeah. That's now, amazing, sometimes there is, isn't it, Tom? Sometimes, sometimes the meadow pipits are, if it uh, happens to choose a robin's nest or a donut's nest, uh, which is kind of rare enough, um, they may cop on when they come out, but usually they don't. And they sit on the eggs, and the cuckoo egg will usually hatch a little bit earlier than the other eggs. So that's what you saw in the video. Yeah. Then the young cuckoo throws all the other eggs out of the nest, so it has the nest to itself and uh, the <laughs> unfortunate parents think the foster parents think that it's their own chick and they continue to feed it and not alone do they feed it but birds in the area passing by uh, feed it as well because they cannot resist the begging gape of the young cuckoo Whoa. it's a very demanding young bird constantly pleading for food and it has a, an orange sort of reddish gape and as they're passing by, maybe on the way back to their own nest with a bit of food, with insects or whatever for their own chicks, they pop a bit into the, the young cuckoo as well. So um, it, it, in that way, between the foster parents and the birds in the area, it's reared up and it's much bigger. The cuckoo but that's the is, thing, Tom. So it's, it's like it's reared by the community, but it is much bigger. I looked at another video this morning. The thing is huge. It takes over the whole nest fairly quickly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah and they yeah. don't figure you out that this... Hold on now a minute. This, but this, this, uh, my, my offspring here is a bit bigger than me, like maybe four or five times bigger. Well, it's, I will say the metapipid is about 15 centimetres and yeah. the cuckoo, um, a fully grown cuckoo is about 30, 34, mm. 36 centimetres. So it's well double the size and more and um, they don't um, I suppose they, it's in their nest they think it's their own and they, they keep feeding it uh, long ago when uh, people they, you see the, the young cook would be then going along with the, 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 the two um, meadow pivots the male and the female and they, they were feed they'd be seen feeding it and when people didn't understand the nesting habits of the cuckoo as we do now they thought that uh, it was the small bird trying to get the cuckoo sound out of the cuckoo's throat for itself. And they said the day that would happen, that would be the end of the world. <laughs> and that was a folklore <laughs> belief that was there long ago. But um, it, it's basically that they're feeding it. And the young cuckoo does not see, it never sees its parents really, and it doesn't see other cuckoos until it goes back to the wintering grounds in tropical Africa. So it knows. It still knows it's a cuckoo, though. It probably does. It, it knows. It knows to migrate. It knows that it's yeah. not to stick around here. Yeah. Uh, but it migrates much later than, than the the adult birds. The adult birds will be gone in late June, July. The young cuckoo might not go until August, maybe even September. So, um, but it does make its way back, and then it meets up with its own kinds. Whether it, it learns the. Um, the cuckoo sounds then when it's back in the, the wintering grounds or has it naturally it, and then they they come back as adult cuckoos the next year very often to the same area where they were born and when they lay the egg as well in the meadow pipit's nest 
the egg resembles a meadow pipit's egg. And in Britain, where they lay in, we'll say, a reed warbler's nest, the egg resembles a reed warbler's egg. Wow. So there's, there's a whole bit of evolution. There. And um, funny enough, a neighbour of mine, oh, just over the road here in Matt Murphy in Flemingstown, heard the cuckoo yesterday morning in uh, Berry Bowler, Cone Bowler area, where it is heard every year here in West Kerry. Cuckoos in West Kerry are actually quite scarce in, in recent times. Uh, but it's funny that it, a cuckoo usually comes to that area. It's just under the Conopass Road there as you approach Dingle. And it's an area that hasn't changed a whole lot. Rough, sort the mountainside area. And that's the kind of terrain that they're like. Um, very often, cuckoos are scarce in areas of land that has been where a lot of reclamation so on has taken place. Yeah. Basically because you don't have the, the, the amount of uh, meadow pipit meadow pipits, yeah. to, to, to meadow pipit really to predate the nest um you know that they, 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 they really need the, the foster parents. if if they don't have those then uh, breeding won't be a success. Now even though a, a female cuckoo can lay up to twenty five eggs in some cases in different nests. But they it, it's somewhere between ten and twenty five depending on the on the world and the and the area. But um they only need one or two of those to be successful for the, the breed to be you know, to continue on. But it's it's um it's 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 hit and miss, you know, that they, 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 they can lots of things can happen as well. I mean you meadow pipit's nest on the ground. Yeah. Meadow pipit's nest nest can be uh found by a fox or by something so the young cuckoo could be eaten as well you know so it's it's not it, because the young cuckoo succeeds in throwing all the other eggs out of the nest doesn't mean the young cuckoo is going to make it to adulthood it's it's on the ground it's vulnerable and uh, yeah. uh, foxes hooded cows anything like that can take it when it's young you know yeah, as they do with otherness yeah um, they, I was watching that video this morning another video then just watch it as well it just amazed me how quickly they grow like in two weeks or something they're fairly you know they're they're fairly large almost adult size but um, they, just in relation to I suppose why how did this come about like why why was the need for you know why did evolution kind of bring it that way that the, the cuckoo couldn't raise their own that they they were like using uh, you know fosters uh, the, the meadow pipits for it and, and does it happen in, in any other kind of uh, well, in, in the happens, animal it kingdom? In, and it does, it does. It happens with other species mm. in, in various parts of the world. And it, it happens to a lesser degree with, with some of our own birds. The starlings, for example. Starlings would often lay an egg in another starling's nest. Right. It's, 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 a, it's a funny thing, you know, it's a, why wouldn't they lay all their eggs in their own nest? Sometimes they pop an egg into another starling's nest just maybe it's a kind of safety device that if they're not successful themselves maybe the other nest would be successful mm. you know it's a, it, it has to be something like that it, or is it just purely uh, just a little bit of mischief but uh, that, that probably has to be a bit more than that too you know yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, I suppose it's the, the whole thing is for the whole thing about nesting is for the survival of the species Yeah. so uh, they do everything they can um, some birds, for example, will say, like as I've mentioned, the curlew now. The curlew will try once to nest if the eggs, if if the eggs are taken or if the chick is taken when it's young, the curlew will not try again. Whereas other birds, 
if the nest is predated, will try again and again. They'll try several times to, yeah. to, to try and be successful. Yeah. So it really depends on the species. And the more successful species, I suppose, are the ones that try again and again. Uh, are the ones, are also maybe the birds that have two or three broods, like the our own blackbirds now often have two or three broods. You know, if you have blackbirds in the garden, you'd often notice that they, the first brood, you'd see the male with the young birds, while the female may be off in a nest again, you know. With yeah. the, 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 so it's, it's uh, again, it's the whole that's nature I suppose yeah. that's the beauty of it like you know uh-huh. Tom I could listen to you all morning but we're out of time um, I have oh, I have a quick question I better give it to you before we finish up um, but uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on I must bring you on again because I was uh, yesterday um, at that conference I was at they were talking about the, the, the chuff but we must talk about that uh, listener is asking Tom if he could answer this question would you know why birds have um would you know why? Would you know why birds have nests? I was saying nets. I couldn't make up. Have nests on a roof of a house? Why would they do that? Where there are people living and come back yearly? So the nests and the nests in the roof. Is that, I suppose that's in the kind of the, the, the corner and the roof kind of, isn't it? Well, it depends. It depends what the, what bird they're talking about. It might be talking about starlings who often going under the 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 even the house. You know, there's little gaps between the slate and the wall or something like that. But um, people don't frighten they, them, is, is, I think, is kind of the question. I'm oh, yeah. The, no, the starling is nesting in a hole, so they, they kind of, they start to know unless you make a great effort, you're not going, you're not going to get them, you know, that they're, they're in, they're in, inside under the roof. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to do a bit of rooting around to get in at that nest, so there's a great chance they're going to be successful there. Uh, I know other nesting on roofs will say there's a problem in Dublin places where the gulls come in and nest on the flat roofs, but that's, that's a different. That's a different type type of thing. Um, for anyone that wants information on, on, on if they go online, they'll carry boarding or clareboardwatching.com which covers Clare and Limerick, or uh, boardwatchirland.ie, or on Twitter at Board News. You know, there's lots of videos and information there and links and so on. If they, you know, yeah, want to, excellent. To read up on the. Yeah, we've another another quick question, and you can answer this with a yes or a no. I live in the Isle of Lewis. That's um, not around uh, this coast, anyway. And there's been a cuckoo coming to the same spot here every April for the past twenty years. Do you believe the birds who visited during that time would be from the same family? And how many generations would have come this way during those two decades? That comes in from Benjamin. I have to have to know how many generations, but uh, definitely more than likely that they are from the same family. They like like the swallows that that come back to your, to your shed they are more than likely descendants of the same swallows that have been coming there for, for years now people will notice that the amount of swallows have declined people that had three, four, five nests in, in a shed now might only have one or none yeah. um, and the same is true that's that's what happened with, with cuckoos as well people, you know cuckoo was, was was very very common because then there was a uh, cuckoo survey done in Clare in 2006 and there was 300 reports of calling cuckoo but uh, there wasn't a similar survey done in Kerry to my knowledge but it would be something like that but uh, it's not that long ago when you would have that many calling contracts yeah. in, in Kerry, in Kerry. Yeah. and now you probably don't or yeah. maybe one now and again you know so yeah. things change but that, no I, I would imagine that that, the, the, that Cuckoo and Lewis the Isle of Lewis is a descendant of the 
first cuckoos that 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 the person saw, you know. Yeah, it's great to hear. So, but we've we've Scottish listeners as well. That's if we're getting a few more of them every week. It's great, um, and and um, yeah. more, and uh, it's amazing the way nature is kind of the same wherever you are. Um, so Tom, thanks a million for coming on and talking to us, and we'll definitely have you on again. It's always a pleasure to hear your knowledge um, on the board. So thanks a million for coming no on. No problem, Joe. Okay. Tom Lynch there uh, from Dingle, and uh, like I said, you could have him on for the whole program. He's just such a wealth of uh, knowledge. But after the break, we're going to be speaking to John G. O'Dwyer on his latest book titled 50 Best Irish Walks. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly, Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. That's what you listen to, and I hope you're enjoying the program so far. Get in touch with us, 66 712 6. You can text us on 083 300 Now, John G. O'Dwyer, who's no stranger to this program, has a new book out titled 50 Best Irish Walks Easy to Moderate. And uh, he joins us on the line now. John, you're very welcome this morning. No doubt you're probably up some mountain at the moment with the grey weather we're having. <laughs> <laughs> but I will be at I'm going for a walk later on uh, up in County Leash but at the moment I'm sitting comfortably here in my office actually but anyway hello to you and to all the Kerry people and of course all the listeners in Scotland as well yeah um, tell us about this new book 50 Best Irish Walks and it's easy to moderate so that sounds to me like I could have a go at this yeah, well, uh, yes, indeed. That's that's what we're hoping you will, and that lots of other people will as well. I suppose easy to moderate. Um, during the, the, I suppose, the lockdown, there was a great movement towards walking, and I suppose when I discussed it with the publisher, we had a feeling that um, what had happened in Ireland was that you know, and Kerry would be an example of this. There's any amount of books that describe how to climb Caron Tuhill or Mount uh, Brandon or do the East Ridge of the Hags Glen, but there didn't seem to be as much for, available for people who like the lower level walk. And we felt that a book that would describe nationally the 50 best, well at least my 50 best walks in Ireland, easy to moderate, it would be something that, you know, we'll say, I'm up here in Tipperary, Tipperary folk uh, would, you know, when they might be travelling to Kerry, so they would have this in the kind of um, in the glove compartment of the car and then they would uh, just look at it when they got down to Kerry and you know as it happens I mean with this between the two of us they won't say to any other county but there's actually five walks in Kerry which is uh, so it's 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 10% of all the walks are in Kerry so it's Kerry is disproportionately represented but I only say that to Kerry people <laughs> so let's talk about those Kerry walks tell us about them yeah, well, absolutely. I we've tried to get you know the ones. Now, one I particularly like, and it's it's up from uh, the west, from the Glen Car side of Caron Tuhill. And I'm sure when you're going up the, to, to you pass through that area when you're going up to Killarney. But you know, there's a there's a, a path which was built up to the on the west side of the Mirakodi Reeks, and that was to serve a hydroelectric station. But it can be used by walkers as well. And you go in there, then uh, you deep enough climb up. Then you go into Cum uh, and it's a beautiful place because it's a hidden valley but it's right under Caron Tuhal, Cahar and Benkira, the three highest mountains in Ireland. And there are two uh, lakes in there and you can actually circuit those. So you get to see the majesty of Ireland's highest mountains without, you know, ha- ha- you know having the uh, effort or taking the strain of going to the top of Caron Tuhal and looking down on them from above. 
Yeah. So it's a beautiful walk, and again, you know, all these walks can be done in two to four hours. So it only takes up a half day. Whereas if you're going off to do Caron Tool, well, then you know you kind of go off at ten o'clock in the morning, and you're probably down at six o'clock. The day is gone. Yeah, that's brilliant because that that it, that makes it all inclusive, really, and it gives you a taste as well of, uh, uh, and maybe going into you know a longer walk then, or maybe you could do one or two of these in a day. Indeed, you could because you could pop around to the other side yes. if you wanted to, and of course going to Cronin's yeah, but I'm sure you've been there. Mm. But that's a magical place there with uh, John and Esther Cronin, and like they have built a thriving business there. Exactly the type of businesses I like to see that are out in rural areas, that are you know attracting spending into rural areas. But if you don't want to bob Karen to her or you know go go up in Kira, what you can do is you can. There's a lovely walk uh, up there, uh, a lovely circuit of uh, of the Hags Glen to Loch Gowra and Loch Cali, the two beautiful walks that are up there. And again, you can look on the surrounding mountains. And of course, the Hags Glen is surrounded by all the highest mountains in Ireland. It's an absolutely magnificent uh, place to uh, be. But then, of course, you know, that's a little, that's more on the moderate side. But of course, you want easy side. There's that marvellous walk. Or indeed, you can cycle it around Muckross Lake, which is one of the three Killarney lakes. And, you know, you could stop then for a coffee at Dennis Cottage along the way, and it's redolent uh, with history, the Colleen Bourne Rock. I love doing that if I have a short time. And of course, that goes out uh, from Muckross as well as that. So around Killarney, there are the three walks I've selected, but you could have any number, really. Yeah, and the book itself, then, when you're talking about these walks, what are you telling people? What's the information in the book in relation well, to the Well, the information, walks? we try to give them everything you would possibly want. So, you know, you have this. The first thing is that it's a book that we've kept it, uh, you know, uh, to a, reason, a size that fits roughly into your, uh, it fits into your rucksack or probably would really fit into your pocket. And as well as that, then, it's kind of all weather, so it won't deteriorate if you get a shower of rain, which I'm sure never happens in Kerry. But anyway... <sighs> Um, you know, this is this is the so that's what what it has there. And then you have the map. You have information, all the basic information. Is it easy, moderate? The length of the walk, the amount of elevation, the uh, the grade of the walk, a description of the walk, and then with a full account, which will put in any historical details uh, that are there as well. Like in Mokras, we'll talk about uh, the Colleen Bond. But if you go down to uh, Derry Nan, that's another one that's in there, and of course the great story of the Liberator and the O'Connells down around there and, um, uh, you know, the O'Connell family and how, you know, they managed to remain on as Catholic landowners at a time when theoretically that was illegal. And and then the Bray Head Loop as well as that is another one and you're looking out at the Skellig Islands and the story of those as well as that and of course of them you know forgotten now a bit but I have the story in of the Valencia Island because you know the first cable to New York went out from there and of course it was you know the centre of world communications at the time of they will say at the time of 1916 and in fact how they knew about the rebellion was and, and the death of Michael Collins as well uh, cable was sent to New York, sent back to London and sent to Dublin. Yeah, that was right, yeah, yeah. Um, fascinating stories. And see, that's what brings these walks to life, if you know the story behind it or where you are and what you're looking at. So that's what makes it special. Look, we won't keep it too tribal because we do venture out across the border and across the country bounds and we go a little bit further. So for people here that are venturing out a bit further, what's, what's your favourite walk, would you say, around Ireland or if we were to go somewhere else? 
Yeah, well, I, you know, I have a lot of books written, so I can say I had the Kerry Way done as well as that with Sandra Baldwell, so mm. I've done a lot in Kerry, and as well as that, I have Pilgrim Pants in Ireland, and one of my favourite walks, actually, funnily enough, is if we do stay tribal, is actually, if you get it on a clear day, Canucknad Dub or the Pilgrim Mountain, and that's in my book, Pilgrim Pants in Ireland, and I really love that. If you come out a bit, I love the walk, I love Gugan Barra, the walk mm. down there, I think, absolutely fantastic, and it still has remained, you know, there isn't mass tourism, down there there's still a sense of community and that and Cronin's Hotel is a fast, fantastic place to finish off but then if we go right up another county I love the exact opposite of, Ireland, of Kerry is in fact Antrim I love that and there's a beautiful walk of course the Causeway Coastal Walk up there and it goes all the way along the north coast so if you're up there I would suggest you do that and you know instead of just going driving to the to the Giant's Causeway you uh, go you that at what they call Dunservey Castle and you walk for about two hours right along the cliffs over Port Nesmonic and you're looking across at Ratland Island off over to Scotland as well the unforgiving coastline where some of the Armada ships foundered and then you have this great sweep down onto the Giant's Causeway it's the perfect way to come in I love that walk in particular and there's another walk in Antrim then if you go up here in, in, uh, in Belfast I would suggest that anybody should go up to Belfast Castle which overlooks the city and then walk to the top of Cave Hill magnificent view over the city up over Antrim down to the Moral Mountains in County Down absolutely terrific and this of course was the place uh, that um, Tone and McCracken came together and they signed a covenant which said that they would not desist from their efforts until Ireland had been free of the English yoke and that's of course where the idea of of the 1798 rebellion came about. That's where they met very privately on top of Cave Hill. But then, of course, Belfast was only a city of about a town of less than 10,000 people then. Fantastic walks there, but all over the country. The great thing I think about Ireland is I've gone to other countries, you see something fantastic, and then you see more and more of the same. For a small island, what I find, every corner, whether it's in Kerry or Antrim or Mayo, all the places I've written about, and I spent most of my life loving the Irish country, there's always something new and exciting around every corner. Yeah, very well said. John, geez, I'd nearly walk out of the studio and walk to you right now and go with you because you're you're an inspirational man the way you talk about it with such passion. Finally, where can people go for your book? Very briefly. Yeah, well, very much. Yeah, very much. So the first thing I'd say is buy it in a bookshop. If uh, It is up online. You get an Amazon all those places. Buy it in a bookshop. I love down near you, down there. I love that. I, you remember me down there? I came down and I think you I... Sneem? The Sneem Bookshop. Yes. They have my book. I know Easton's in Killarney have it. Easton's in um, Turtley have it. And then that lovely little bookshop out in Dingle, the Dingle Bookshop, I'm told at the moment they have it down there in the window as well as that. So they're the place. I'm sure there are others as well that I I don't know about, but I know those. But it should be in all the main bookshops nationwide. But if you can't do that, then buy it from my Irish publishers, and they are you can get it there from CorrockBooks.com. Very good. John G. O'Dwyer, pleasure as always, and best luck with the book and happy walking. Thank you very much indeed and I hope you can get out and enjoy some of the walk. Very good. We'll take a break. We've lots of messages to get to after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. 
that's what you're listening. I hope you're enjoying the program. Keep those messages coming in on text 083 300 You can call us on 066 712 Now, I mentioned at the start of the program that I was hosting or emceeing an event um, on uh, the Vera Peninsula in Waterville. It was the live project and there was a lot of special guests there to celebrate how communities can engage collaborative, collaboratively with natural and cultural heritage to promote a more regenerative model of tourism. And I spoke with Lucy Taylor there. I'm Lucy Taylor and I am the project manager for the live project. I work for University College Cork. Lucy, today is a a celebration. Tell us what exactly today is about. So we've been working on the live project which is based here on the Ivara Peninsula, South Kerry and we've partnered with a a group from the Llyn Peninsula in North Wales. We've been working together for about three years and today is about bringing our two groups together to celebrate and talk about all of the work that we've been done and all of the outputs that we've created which are for the communities in both of these regions so for businesses for teachers for kids and families and visitors to use to help them engage more with their natural and cultural heritage and to promote these regions as places where people can come and learn and stay for a long time to really engage with topics of interest. What strikes me about today is the calibre of people that are speaking at this event. It's quite, quite a number and quite uh, the, the quality is impressive. Very knowledgeable, very motivated people as well that made, like yourself, made this place a home. And, uh, you know, it was more than just work. That's so true. So when we were, I was the first person recruited to the project and it had long been an ambition of mine to be able to spend more time in South Kerry. So I was delighted to see that role and to to get it and be able to live down here full time. And then when we were recruiting all of the other people working on the project, the ability to communicate and a passion was really, really important there. And we just asked people what they would like to focus on when they were working on the project down here. And we were so lucky to have so many people apply who had their own ideas because they already knew about the area, already loved it and saw its value. The, I suppose the key uh, focus of this going forward and what do you think the legacy will be out of this? There are some lovely community initiatives that have started. Um, some of that are just small groups who've come together. I mentioned when I was talking earlier about a WhatsApp group we have for people who are interested in marine life. And it's a really small action. We've just created a small WhatsApp group with some of the marine biologists who already lived here, some of the Sea Synergy group, some of ourselves. And we've loads of other people who've joined that now, about 40 people. And something like that, while it's so simple, it means that we're all talking together about things that we've seen. We've seen humpback whales, we've seen basking sharks, we've got underwater footage of these animals now. And if we didn't have that group, if we hadn't come together, that wouldn't necessarily be communicated and one person might have seen those things but it wouldn't be so shared and that theme of sharing knowledge and sharing information is really what has motivated everything in the project so those are the sort of intangible things that will come out of it are those small networks and groups of people but we also have resources and outputs that will be available online and they'll be available in the future for anyone who wants to use them and we really hope that they'll be useful for businesses to promote themselves to promote each other and to promote the region and for people to find out more if they're interested to because one thing that we asked at the beginning We asked people what they already knew about, what they were interested in, and what the barriers were to learning. And a lot of the time it was that they knew that information was available, but they didn't quite know how to access it, because it might have been academic or a bit too high level for them. So we've really tried to encourage people to come together and share their knowledge and then create resources so that that can continue after we've finished. When we talk about the natural world, we talk about symbiotic relationships and, you know, um, creatures within an ecosystem depending on each other. That's very much the focus here in this area as well, is building on the local knowledge but adding to that knowledge as well and preserving the knowledge for the future. 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of cliches about that topic, aren't they? Of people needing each other and, and being stronger together. We've lots of lovely Irish phrases on that as well. And I think that that really is the key. The project was begun and led by academic people who, who do research work and they have really technical knowledge of topics that they study in South Kerry. But they were aware that while they published that so that other scientists or experts can learn about it, they weren't sharing that with the local people here. And equally, there are so many opportunities that they don't learn about if they don't talk to the local communities. So we heard about sites that people are now doing really exciting work on that they wouldn't have known existed if they hadn't just spoken to local people who pointed them in the right direction. And that's really the key. None of us would would be successful without the other. Excellent. Finally, where can people go for more information if they want to find out about all this wonderful work that went on here? So we have a project website, which is ecomuseumlive.eu. But just today, it has gone live, a new website for the Ivara Peninsula. So that is www.discoverivara.ie. And that will have all of the resources that we've developed in the project, but that are just relevant to South Kerry. Excellent. Thanks a million for talking to me. Thank you. Lucy Taylor there from the live project in Ivara. What a wonderful evening or day we had yesterday. And I'll tell you a bit more about that in the next hour. But we will have to take a break for the news at 10. I'll join you again then. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry Yeah, that's good that it's low I'm a man that gets affected by uh, pollen so um, uh, it's good to hear that it won't be that bad it's kind of the you have to take a bit of the rough with the smooth you get the fine weather but then you get the pollen as well so it's just something to be um, wary of it uh, good morning Joe enjoying the show in Listowel that comes in from Patrick thanks many Patrick and we will be talking about Listowel Writers Week um, in our creative kingdom um, morning on this beautiful day please wish my goddaughter Maura O'Shea from Carmonine a very happy 15th birthday lots of love your godmother Mary cousins Jade Lauren and Willow thank you Willow it's a lovely name isn't it and um, also we had uh, another message in relation to uh, the birds which I'll get to very shortly um, love the show you could be talking about anything and you make it interesting keep up the good work thanks <laughs> I think it's the the guests that I've had this morning are making it very interesting I can tell you that thank you so much for um, answering and this comes in from Benjamin who's uh, over in Scotland um, coincidentally the corn crake could be heard here when I moved here in 2006 but regrettably much less frequent now comes in from Benjamin. A lot of work has been done on the conservation of the corn creek, especially up uh, near Mayo. Um, we did a documentary on the corn creek, and the numbers are kind of steadily kind of turning. But it was, I suppose, the uh, mechanisation in agriculture and. Um, the way uh, the meadows were cut and uh, similar to uh, what Tom was talking about, the meadow pipit as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's rare enough you'd hear the corn creek. They're described as the worst singer and uh, the, their, their bird call is described as a cheese grater rubbing against each other, two cheese graters. So you can imagine that now. <laughs> I hate even the sound of, you know, that arrow board rubbing off each other, nails on a board, but imagine two cheese graters rubbing against each other. It's described as cracks, cracks um, sound. Um, also, we got another message in here from in relation to the walks. For walks in reeks, don't forget to say no dogs allowed. And uh, we've done a bit of research here as well. And according to McGillicuddyReeksCarry.com, there, yeah, so you can walk in the reeks, but there is dog walking areas near. 
the Reeks along the road in the Gap of Dunlow, Dunlow Upper Clarny, Lakeen Wood, East Drum Glencar, Tommy's Woods, Tommy's Clarny, Kilta Woods at Carroll Lake, um, uh, and uh, Clarity National Park, Muckris House and Gardens, Tark Waterfall, Knock Rear Estate, Lord Brandon's Cottage, Giramine, and, and all here in Kerry. And just make sure to keep your dog on a leash. And uh, several more messages. Uh, you're very busy this morning, which is great. I love to hear from you, uh, you at home. Hi, Joe. I enjoyed your chat with Tom Lynch about the, the cuckoo and other birds. Nature is really amazing, especially how birds know when to migrate and where to go travelling such long distances. And that comes in from Charles. And finally from uh, Bridie. Hi, Joe. I love listening to your show. The swallows come back to my shed every year and I look forward to them. It makes my summer. They are so interesting. Thanks, Joe, for all the great shows from Bridie and Bridie. Thanks a minute for tuning in. Now, it's time to hear our second episode of Bloss of Kerry, where we uh, profile the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. And now we're going to hear from John O'Sullivan from Schlieve Lucre Strawberries. This radio series is a Maureen Nivahuna production, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. This is Bloss of Kerry, a unique eight-part series where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. Some of the most ancient of these trades goes back centuries, and in many of the family businesses we will profile are handed down from generation to generation. Our series aims to reveal the magnificent story and history associated with traditional family food businesses in Kerry. In this episode, we feature Schlieve Lucre Strawberries where we will hear from fifth-generation fruit grower John O'Sullivan, who, along with his wife Nolette, grow some of the juiciest, most fragrant strawberries in the whole of Ireland, on four acres of land in Curro. I'm John O'Sullivan. This is Slave Lucre Strawberries between Curro and Farm 4. My farm is in the Flesk Main Valley, in the centre of Kerry. It's uh, about 30 or 40 feet, only above sea level. So we have a lot of advantages in that sense. This farm was originally um, part of the Herbert Estate in uh, in Kerry. Do you know there was, it was a landlord's premises. There was a big house here and they owned something like four or 5,000 acres here back in the 1870s, but it all dissipated with land reform acts and things at that time. But the house itself was burnt in 1938, as far as I remember. And um, the Land Commission took over and divided it between the tenant farmers, as it was. But it was back down to a couple of hundred acres at that stage. But there was about 12, 12 farms. It was divided between 12 small farmers. And there was a fruit farm. There was an orchard, a kitchen garden here, where I am now. And... Uh, that's where my interest really started. There was an orchard here with all the different fruits and they were grown here from for nearly 200 years, I suppose. And seemingly my great-grandparents, they all worked on the estate here. How many generations have we gone back there, do you think? I think there's about five. Five from what I can gather. The 1911 census, um, there were lynches and... Uh, and um, main lodge as you come into the entrance and there would have been my my grandmother's people and they, worked, they all worked here but they all 
immigrated mostly to America in the 20s and 30s. But there was one of them still in, he was a creamery manager and they stole up to the 1950s. But he didn't leave a family, so that was the end of that, the Lynch generation. But my grandfather would have come from Van Forres and would have the orchard rented from the landlord. And when it was divided, he got um, he got the orchard plus the grass of a few cows and a couple of horses. And um, there was a small house built for the, the tenant farmers at that time. And I think 26 acres was deemed a viable holding at that stage. But there was less in this farm because of the, the fruit, the fruit just being with the orchard. So fruit was always kind of in the family? It has been, it has been for, for quite a while, quite a while. So where did the idea for a strawberry business come from? I trained in, uh, in the 80s as a, an agricultural advisor, but I kind of specialised in horticulture. And while I was on my practical year, or my year out, I worked on a fruit and vegetable farm, but I was found that the fruit was a nice clean job that you planted your crop once and you harvested and there was no messing with digging out potatoes out of the ground or any of those kind of heavy jobs that was nice and clean. So fruit was out in the back of my mind, even though I didn't start growing fruit till well into the 90s. I started uh, with tunnels in the late 80s and I grew lettuce and potatoes, things like that. And uh, I built a glass house here in uh, 1993. And at that stage, I was looking for alternative crops to vegetables and strawberries was the crop I started to grow with and I found that um, it was at the time it was much more profitable than the other vegetable crops and it expanded from there so I'm growing fruit which 30 years but um, I did all this with new even since well it's, it's new as in the sense that um, the variety itself that's grown here now El Santa wasn't um, discovered say till the 80s sometime in the 80s and by the time we got to the 90s it was the main variety grown in Holland and England as well at the same time they were starting to grow it off the ground and that means you can probably get nine times the crop off the same area so that's why it is it, 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 when, it, when it's lifted off the ground it makes it very easy for picking and uh, it's easy to manage the crop, even though there's a lot of work and moving in and out. Uh, the peat has to be changed every year and the crop has changed every year as well. And who did they supply to in the early years when they were starting out? There was a, a family shop by my uncle Eugene in Killarney in High Street and that was one of the that was one of my main inspirations for growing at the at the start. But I was sold to the local wholesalers. And of late, I've done a deal with the likes of Super Value and Garvey's, and uh, they seem to buy up to a third quart, a third of my fruit altogether. And where does re- where does the rest of it go? Mostly wholesale. I travel as far as Limerick and sometimes Cork, to with mostly to wholesale. And there's a few there's a few I have a few small customers for farmers markets and this and that, but 
that's the main bulk of my fruit salt. From the main road looking down on the site where Schlieve Lucre Strawberries is located, you can't miss the impressive rows and rows of glass and greenhouses that cover quite an area of land. Well, the, we're standing in a glass house simply because it is made of glass, but the other, the rest of it is greenhouse and that's um, plastic, but there's over four acres in total. And it produces fruit from mid-May to nearly the end of October. But that is without heat or anything like that. It's all natural, all natural light. There's no, there's no heating of these houses. But it's possible to heat it and it's possible to light it if, if one wanted to do that. But the cost of energy at the moment, it's prohibitive. So, you know, from the cost of living crisis, have you kind of been able to survive that with kind of using the natural heat and, and things like that? You know, when you talk about fuel costs and electricity costs and all that. Yeah, with the, the cost of energy has cut everybody, but it does. It, I, I can see a difference, all right. But um, the thing is that the prices are also having to rise. Um, it had to rise all over last year, but um, it's prob- probably strawberries would be 10 to 20% dearer, and that's kind of compensating for, the, for any cost of energy, you know, the, I suppose it's just a vicious cycle. Within these impressive structures are rows and rows of strawberries suspended off the ground. The fruit is grown in a box of peats, something similar to a window box, and uh, they're automatically fed with drip irrigation, and uh, they're about 1.2 metres off the ground, make for ease of picking and ease of managing the crop, and uh, the, the fruit from May to October. The first, the first crop will be, it will start flowering sometime before Patrick's Day, around Patrick's Day, and it takes six weeks from flower to fruit. And it, the crop lasts about one month. So we just move from glass to plastic to open plastic, which will be put in situ in the next four or five weeks, and uh, we'll start planting crops in May for middle of July and me and this will be this crop will be replaced in this in the gas house here this will be replaced in towards the end of June and that will give an item crop I'm just thinking visually this must look amazing when they're in full when you can see all the strawberries everywhere it is yeah and uh, well we pick you have to pick every three days but uh, if you get a really really warm weather it's it's a nightmare just to get them picked in time because they don't they go off they ripen too fast and they go off quite quickly but that rarely happens we we're lucky enough that um, our summers aren't that warm so we don't run into that problem we do run into that problem at times like in 2018 it was a nightmare from middle of June to the August weekend because it was only every morning you go out see now how could you salvage that there but we got through it. The fruit was smaller, but uh, and when the fruit was smaller, well, the consequence was we had less of it, but uh, there was a lot of picking in it. Harvesting strawberries is a very manual process, as every strawberry has to be hand-picked. There'd often be up to 15, 60 people working here. There's a nod um, of the people been coming here over the years. I've never had to advertise for workers. Um, what I use a lot of are third level students because of their their year their year is finishing in mid-May and that's the start of the season and that's our peak work 
to our pe our work peaks during from those couple of months and uh, they seem to be reliable enough i'm i'm happy i'm happy with them just the process you pick them is there another area then that you process them further or there is well what we do is pick them wear them into the freezer and deliver them the following day as simple as that like we would have to put on the label of course and make sure the weight is right as well what makes your strawberry so special oh i think it's the variety and the closeness to market they're um when they're ripened in the house they have their full sugar content and that that makes them that makes them very sweet and i think that's that's the secret of it uh, and the near closeness to market and they're, they're always fresh then as well The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. You're listening to an episode of Bloss of Kerry, where we provide an insight into the amazing variety of family food businesses represented in Kerry. In this episode, we hear from fifth-generation fruit grower John O'Sullivan, who, along with his wife, Nolette, grows some of the juiciest, most fragrant strawberries in the whole of Ireland on four acres of land in Curl. Their business is called Steve Lucas Strawberries. So what have been the biggest challenges for the business over the years? My nightmare is the cost of labour. The cost of labour and the cost of the materials coming in. Each plant is costing around... It's gone from 50 to 60 cents. And uh, when... Our Green Party decided that we'd close Bordnamona. That was a, a huge headache. But that has been resolved since because there is a licence to harvest peat and an English company has taken over the supply of the peat. So that's that's an ease. Why peat and not just normal earth? Why? why? Is it the acidity? No, or the, the peat is totally neutral and it's, uh, it's all, all you're really using. The peat is a medium to hold um, nutrients and all the all the once the peat is neutralized with lime all the nutrients are added and they're just they're just used out of the peat and that's that's where it works uh, everything is added and in, in comes in in the water as in fertilizer and all the NPK as all your elements that are used they all come in the water. Another challenge that John has to contend with are pests that threaten the crop. And we have, you can see, all the sticky traps up now at the moment. And they're trying to catch um, the pupae that's from a, a pest called Western Flower Trip. And he overwinters in the, in the soil or even in the peas. And once he starts emerging, I'm hoping I will catch him. But his life cycle is only three weeks. But during his life cycle, he um, or she would lay 200 eggs. So every three weeks, you can multiply by 200. So you're trying to keep the numbers down early in the season. But there's lots of there's lots of predatory insects that have to be bought and released. They're mostly produced in Israel and Israel and Holland, and we release the predators to eat the to eat any of the harmful insects. There's lots of insects here that are of no harm whatsoever, but um, the tiny insects multiply at a ferocious rate and they do they do f- serious damage to the fruit. They, um, when they feed whatever toxins they inject into the fruit, 
it just distorts the strawberry just a small bit and it makes it completely unmarketable and there's also red spider which um, they're quite common all over the country but there's there's a very good predator for that as well but I think that that the predator is native of uh, the Middle East and I think the, you can find the red spider even on an apple tree it, but it, 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 it really multiplies in, in indoor where conditions are ideal um, visually you mentioned there that it's unmarketable but it probably tastes fine it's just the look of it is it that people want everything perfect or what is it people want everything perfect but no he, he, the shelf life has gone oh. short as well it, it just it just starts it it might it probably takes a week longer to ripen and uh, once it ripens it just deteriorates quite quickly so it is unmarketable I'd say it'd be lovely to come down here every day and just pick a strawberry and eat it straight from after it picking is, it, 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 it they're they're um, when they're eaten hot you'll get the full aroma and the taste is superb even when they're put into the fridge if you eat them straight out of the fridge you you don't you don't get anything near near the proper taste so you have to let them at room temperature for an hour at least an hour to get the proper flavour so that's just a, what you call it a, a tip for yeah. enjoying your strawberries and how do you like to enjoy them? Is it that way or do you like to put them with something? Oh, no. I, I, I walk along and I sample. I sample as I'm working. And the last thing I want to see is strawberries and cream on my dessert. But I must say that I have gone to restaurants in the county and I'm very proud to see their sleeve lucre strawberries on the menu. And would you know the taste difference? Well, I, I might not know my own strawberries, but... Um, but I would, I'd, I'd recognise the variety of scent anywhere I go. Whereas the strawberries that are coming from Spain now at the moment, they're much, they're much harder product. They have to, they have to be to travel in a truck from from Spain. So, but like that, they do the trick. There. Sometimes they they only use them for aesthetic purposes. They look well on the on the dessert. Is that a source of pride for you to to go into a place and actually see your product here, that it's locally made, it's grown in Kerry and that it's being consumed here? I I, I love to see it. I love to see it myself, yes. I do. I like to see my name on it or Slave Luke, just Slave Luke on it. Just the area, just the area which is west of, west or east of here. But it's nice to see Slave Luke on And when it is on, a lot of the menus all over the county. When people talk about food sustainability and where they get their food, food miles is often discussed. Food miles are a way of attempting to measure how far food has travelled before it reaches the consumer. It is a good way of looking at the environmental impact of goods and their ingredients. In the case of Slave Luke strawberries and local Kerry food providers, the food miles are low. I suppose what, it depends. It is 10 or 12 miles to get on the Italy, but that's a shot as, that's as close as you're going to get. Mm. You, mu- you must have built up relationships over the years with your, your customers because I, I'd imagine a lot of it's repeat business then and building it up is, relationships. It's all, it's, all, it's all repeat business. And uh, I am like even the ordinary housewife. They, they'd recognise the brand, no problem. Especially, you know, there's a lot of people who would buy the, the same product week in week out which is great because you they bite on the wet week as well as uh, to find some sunny week so there, there is a lot of repeat business and I appreciate it thanks so what does the future hold for Sleeve Lucre strawberries I don't know is <laughs> there any little uh, John <laughs> O'Sullivan coming up 
there's there's young Osalon there, all right, but they don't seem to have any interest in what I'm doing. I think they've seen too much of it in their younger. Um, I think there is a future that it will it will it will stay, but maybe not as a family business. Uh, that's I certainly intend to retire when I'm in five years' time when I'm pension age, and uh, I'm hoping that I'll be able to get a manager to to take it over because I, I can't see myself dismantling the place. I, I it, 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 it's not it's, it's not worth dismantling. Well, it, it it's worth a lot as it is, but to move it to another part of the country it's, it's impossible What does John love about the business? Oh I love the buzz when it's, when it's busy everything going according to plan I like to see the I like to see the production and I always look forward to that from now on I'll be buzzing from now on just everything to get everything in place that's my that's my favourite time of the year now before to get, to get the crops right and by the end of the summer, then I'm tired, and I have enough of it. Yeah, there you have it, another episode of Blast of Kerry with John O'Sullivan of Schlieve Lucre Strawberries. And we'll have another episode next week, so very much looking forward to that. And we wish John all the best. Now, after the break, we're going to have our Kerry County Council, Creative Kingdom, with Kate Kennelly, Arts Officer with Kerry County Council. She'll be letting you know what's going on in the arts world around this county. And we'll also be speaking about Listowel Writers Week and K-Fest in Clark. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. You're listening to the Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. Now it is the second Saturday of the month, so it's time for our Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom, where we let you know what's going on in the arts world in this wonderful county of ours. And as always, we have Kate Kennelly, arts officer with Kerry County Council. We're all going to be, we're also going to be talking about Listowel Writers Week and this wonderful festival as well, K Fest, on in Kilorglan uh, every year. So, firstly, Kate, you're very welcome. How are you this morning? I'm very well. Good morning, Joe, and good morning to all your listeners, and thanks for joining us. Joe, I managed to get out and about a bit there in April and you know the way we're always saying we must go to this and must go to that. Yeah. Um, I managed to take in Phil Nabiotina, or one day of it anyway, back in Dingle and it was absolutely fantastic, Joe. Um, anyone who hasn't been, can I please encourage them to put it in the diary for next year? So it was on from the 27th of April to the 1st of May and it was just fantastic, Joe. There's such ownership by the community and beautiful showcasing of arts for all ages and, you know, the programme was so varied, but there's such ownership and buy-in back in Dingle of their culture and creativity. It, it really was a special experience. So just well done to all the committee and all the community who participated, as well as all the artists, of course. Yeah, wonderful, excellent. Yeah, we must definitely make it back there, Kate. We're saying it every year, but we'll have to put it in the diary for uh, next year um, to go back and, and, and enjoy that wonderful festival. But let's talk about other wonderful festivals that are taking place around this county. And let's firstly go to an institution now, we'd call this Listowel Writers Week. I'm delighted to say that Stephen Connolly, festival curator, is with us on the line. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, doing very well. How are you? 
Very good. So tell us what's happening with List All Writers Week this year. So we have got uh, a packed uh, packed schedule of events uh, that it's starting on Wednesday the 31st of May and um, we've got the usual big opening night celebration uh, when we're giving out uh, some kind of major awards uh, so this year as with uh, previous years we're giving uh, the Kerry Group Irish Novel of the Year award uh, we which the shortlist is now um, is now out you can find that online um, we're giving the Piggott Poetry Prize and uh, we're giving a John B. Keane Lifetime Achievement Award and uh, this year that is being given to uh, the kind of theatre icon Stephen Ray wow. uh, so that's our, our, our first evening and after that we've got a full programme of events um, all, all scheduled and take us through some of the highlights because I know it's about celebrating established uh, writers and people in the arts world but it's also to, to highlight emerging people as well isn't it it is indeed, and we've got, I believe, um, a, a healthy mix uh, of of established and emerging. Um, so each day is structured uh, in in such a way that uh, if you are taking your first steps into writing, uh, you can do a workshop in the mornings. Uh, then, kind of a, at lunchtime, uh, we've got some uh, emerging poets um, and as you move into the afternoon, we've got some people who are uh, perhaps uh, they're. they're uh, coming to celebrate the publication of their their first book or their second book, and as we get through into the early evening, uh, we begin to get some bigger names. Um, so we've got the likes of uh, Liz Nugent, uh, who has been at the top of the uh, bestsellers list in Ireland uh, for the past six to eight weeks, I believe, uh, with her fifth novel, Strange Sally Diamond. Um, we have got uh, the. Professor of Poetry for Ireland, Paul Muldoon, uh, will be reading on the Friday night. Uh, we have got um, we've got uh, Paul Brady uh, in conversation with Paul Muldoon on the Saturday evening. Uh, we've got uh, Claire Kilroy and Lucy Caldwell on the Sunday. Uh, it's Claire Kilroy's first novel in eleven years, uh, and we're very excited uh, to have to have Claire. Yeah, uh, wow! It's it's all it always amazes me the amount of names this festival can pull. You know, um, you know, talk about not just national standard, international standard as well. You've some unique venues as well, and the stall is such a magical place to go. But one involving the courthouse was that what you were telling me off air? We do indeed. We've got um, there's this. It's I guess one of my one of my favourite books of the year so far. Uh, it's called Bad Bridget: Crime, Mayhem, and the Lives of Irish Emigrant Women. Um, it's by two academic historians, uh, but it's very much uh, you know it's very much a book that's uh, that can be picked up and read and enjoyed uh, by by everyone. It's uh, it details the history, I guess, mostly in the 19th century. Uh, of crimes committed uh, by Irish women uh, in in North America, uh, and these are uh, opportunistic crimes, but also uh, those that are kind of more calculated, um, you know. And and it's it's a really incredible read. Uh, but we thought that uh, because of the the topic, uh, that it would be it would be a very good idea to put it into the courthouse in Listowel. Uh, so it's still the working courthouse. Obviously, it's a beautiful, uh, I believe, nineteenth century. Building, um, but on the inside, it's it's still got all the um, the upholstery of the working court service. Uh, so I think that's a, an interesting uh, event. I think about uh, three quarters of the tickets have sold for that. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, hopefully you can uh, still get the, uh, some of the last few tickets. 
Yeah, brilliant. Um, it is such, I mentioned, kind of an inspiring festival and, you know, it goes back so many years. You're kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, really, kind of coming from before you. But I suppose not just the people that visit it, but like the contributors that visit it, they must get a great kick out of going to the town in Listowel for this weekend. Um, you know, there are, uh, there's another festival in Galway, uh, and some of my uh, some of my friends uh, from from kind of uh, around uh, Ireland and the UK were in a WhatsApp group uh, that was for the festival in Galway. And the day after that festival ended, uh, we switched the title of it uh, to Listowel Trip. And I tell you what, if that one WhatsApp group is anything to go by, uh, I'd say that a lot of people are very excited uh, to to kind of experience the buzz uh, of of Listowel in the first weekend in June. Brilliant. I know some of the events or workshops are sold out, but there's other availability for others. So tell us, where can people go if they want more information and if they want to book tickets in advance? Um, so I would I would advise definitely booking tickets in advance. Uh, so if you are looking to buy tickets or to see the full programme, uh, you can go to writersweek.ie. Um, the full programme is available to download there. Uh, and hopefully by the time you hear this, uh, you'll also uh, be able to get a print copy, uh, which should be ready in time. Um, but yes, writersweek.ie, everything is there. Excellent. Well, Stephen, we wish you all the best of luck with it. It's always a fantastic weekend and it brings so much to this county and it celebrates so much that's important to us as well. So thanks a million and best of luck with it. Yeah, so going from one wonderful festival to another, also taking place the June Bank holiday weekend, we have K-Fest, which is taking place in uh, Kilorglan on the June Bank holiday weekend. And we're joined by Tim Clifford and Rochelle Lucy from K-Fest. You're both very welcome. How are you this morning? Hi, Joe. Great to be here. So, Tim, tell us what's K-Fest all about? Yeah, so K-Fest uh, started in 2013. So this year is in, is in fact our 10th anniversary. Um, and that's great because um, it started from the gathering in 2013. So we didn't even know if there'd be 2014, but here we are 10 years later, still going strong. Um, yeah, so K-Fest has very much a focus on uh, emerging artists, you know, uh, make, uh, from a mix of local, national and international uh, visual and performing artists and um, we bring them all to to Kilorgan for the June Bank Holiday weekend and uh, and it's 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 a great weekend because it's like the arts community and the local community become one community for one for for one weekend and um, yeah so we, and we use a lot of the disused buildings and towns for as uh, pop up galleries uh, uh, for the weekend and uh, yes yeah, so that's what we do. And that's what makes this very special is the use of those buildings that otherwise wouldn't be used. And there's a novelty in that as well. And it brings the, the town to life on that weekend. It does. And, you know, it creates a great uh, uh, trail of buildings that people can go and see, as well as the artworks within. And uh, uh, so the local people are quite interested in getting into these buildings that haven't been in for 30 years. And... Um, as well as that, they're really interesting spaces for, for, for the visual artists to, to display their work. Yeah, excellent. Um, and mentioning the artists, Rochelle, this is an important, uh, I suppose, principle for you as well, is to highlight these uh, emerging artists as well. Oh, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for artists to come into a, a new space. A lot of these artists are uh, would be students, so it's like it would be their first time maybe exhibiting and even in, as part of a group show. Um, so it's quite exciting, I suppose, this year that we um, we do have a number of extra galleries. For the last few years, we've only had maybe four or five spaces. 
Um, it's just been a little bit difficult to find uh, some of the empty buildings. But this year, we've actually got about 12 different galleries. So it's just an exciting kind of longer trail. And some of the really beautiful work, actually, that's coming down this year, um, I'm really excited to see Galway-based artist uh, Glenn Gibson. So he's bringing this uh, life-size elephant made of wire, uh, which would be really exciting to see that in one of the old buildings in Lordland. Um, that, that it's fairly impressive a life-sized elephant could be into a place yeah um, I've never seen an elephant myself so I'll be looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing what that's like uh, we also have um, Annie Hogg she's coming from Tipperary uh, she works with pigments and found objects within the landscape um, and she'll also be doing a really wonderful talk about her work uh, on the Saturday as well so definitely try not to miss that and there's a number of other really amazing artists uh, Una Quill she's coming from Killarney She's got an outdoor art installation, which should be really beautiful to see it in in sort of an unusual setting like that. Um, and yeah, there's loads more. Um, actually, I will just mention as well, this year we have uh, Peggy's Angels of Hope. Um, so these are eight, eight foot, uh, basically fiberglass angels um, that have been given to lots of community groups around Clorgan. So they're currently designing and painting them. And we're going to collect them and put them all over Clorgland for the festival. There's actually 10 of them all together. Um, so Whoa. Um, but it'll be an yeah. installation around the town as well. Yeah, it's going to look spectacular. Um, Tim, uh, we, we were talking off um, air in relation to this wonderful film that you're going to screen as well. And there's a lot of local involvement in, in, in that too. Yeah, so uh, Wild's K-Fest starts on it's the 2nd of June, the Friday, the bank holiday. Uh, we do have a film on the night before, the 1st of June, in um, CYMS in Cologne. Uh God's Creatures, starring uh, Paul Meskel, um, was written by Shane Crowley from Cologne and produced by Fowler Cronin O'Reilly from Cremorne. So uh, we're going to show that film and have a Q&A after it with uh, uh, Shane. And hopefully, if the technology gods are good to us, uh, Fowler Cronin O'Reilly will join a Q&A from, uh, live from New York. So really looking forward to that one. Um, I guess in, t- in terms of the other film and drama related stuff, we have quite a lot going on uh, throughout the weekend uh, with many spoken word drama events and film events. You can find them all on our website, kfest.ie. Um, I guess another interesting one is a, is a drama art installation, I guess you call it. Uh, it's, it's actually drama, art and music. It's called Filemore. It was it was at the Dublin Fringe Festival. It was commissioned by the Dublin Fringe Festival, and we have it in Kilorgan. And there's an audience participation uh, installation. Uh, there's kind of a mystery to solve, and there's clues. And later that night, um, the the mystery uh, is solved at a music event. Yeah. So we've also got lots of music on over KFS. Uh, some singers on right through the day, and then at the night, uh, there's music going on from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, a bit of everything for everyone to enjoy Whoa, I'd say I was just thinking there it'll be easy to talk to you after the June Bank holiday weekend I'd say with all the, <laughs> the, the events that are going on we're out of time but just quickly where can people go and I know Tim you wanted to thank some people as well yeah. so where can people go for more information yeah they can go to kfs.ie it's most, most of the stuff is free to enter but there is some ticket events so yeah, you better get to kfs.ie to get them before they're gone and um, yeah we'd love to thank our private sponsors Fexco Rockshore Tweak and the many businesses in town and our public uh, sponsors um, the Arts Council of Ireland Kerry County Council uh, Forge Ireland uh, Bank of Ireland Begin Together Arts Fund and Creative Ireland 
Very good. Well, we wish you the best of luck with it, and thanks a million for coming on. It's such an exciting, uh, unique initiative as well, so we wish you all the best of luck with it, thanks. and uh, congrats so far, and we look forward to see, seeing how it turns out. <laughs> Now we're going to go to break with more after these. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee. Now you're listening to Creative Kingdom, Kerry County Council, Creative Kingdom, and we have Kate Kennelly still with us, Arts Officer with Kerry County Council. Um, Kate, we were mentioning last month in relation to your Uncle Brendan and the celebration of, of poetry. How did that go? You were, you were obviously at it. I was. I, it was a brilliant night, Joe. So well done to the Kerry Writers Museum and St. John's Theatre and Arts Centre for hosting it. Uh, the Kerry Writers Museum organised it, Cara Trent, well done, and NEWKD funded it, so thank you to them. Uh, super night. Um, Paddy McElligot was acting. He enacted two of Brendan's works. He was outstanding, Joe. He's, a, he's such a talent. And also then you had Billy Keane spoke, Owen McMahon, uh, Gabriel Fitzmaurice, Sean Lyons, Jimmy Dean had said a few words, Mary Kennelly read some of her poetry. I, I got in a bit about the council and, and the work that, and, and I suppose the support over the years from Brendan. It was a beautiful night and just well done to everyone. And I was also at the artist Ion Kerry exhibition, The Great Southern, works by over four artists from the county so getting out there Joe and catching back yeah. up with what's happening so there's a lot going on yeah brilliant and speaking of a lot going on Cranoona Dog there's always a lot Cranuna going on Nog. there so tell us about that exactly so the next time we speak Joe Cranoona Nog will be happening it's on oh, June wow. the 10th so it's the second Saturday in June and just to let your listeners know the full programme will be available on our website uh, from the end of next week so that's uh, www.arts.kerrycoco.ie or at kerrycoarts on social media and just to share again with your listeners we have events from for all ages I suppose across the county so for children from age three and four right up to late teens uh, from film uh, to music to drawing acting and rather than listing them all off because I'd really like people to try and have a quick look at the brochure which is available as Gael Gifreshen so go Hyanga Arios is right so like for example there's a junk couture um, event in the Kerry County Museum at 11 o'clock for all ages and that's going to be an exhibition of outfits created by Trilly Secondary School students using recycled materials that'll be fabulous um, we have art and poetry with Amanda later on in the County Museum again for all ages there's drumming workshops in the Shanakil Family Resource Centre and different ages at different times. So going from age eight right up to age, let's say, 12 at different times. And then in Killarney, there's um, various events on as well. Uh, there's film with Mika in um, Killarney House. There's in Annam, there's a programme for the whole day, you know, that, that, that little cultural centre there. Um, between I suppose the Great Southern and the Clarney Park there's beautiful events there Music Generation Carrier holding drumming workshops uh, singing and dancing workshops and then there's some dancing later on in the evening um, there's a lovely Make It at Muckris with Me and the Moon out at Muckris Schoolhouse and uh, there's some beautiful wildlife and heritage talks as well and again these go for all ages one of the things I'm really looking forward to is Deirdre Enright who's with Kerry LCYP has organised for all the youth theatres to come together for one day and that's going to be up at the Dukas Coltis Centre at North Campus of MTU and they're going to be from Dingle, from Carsevine and from Lestole. So all these um, teenagers are going to come together and celebrate youth theatre, show each other what they've been doing all year. That'll be really inspiring and if you've young people out there who think they might be interested, they might be able to go and watch for a bit, sure, why not? 
And then we have puppetry, Joe, as well. Give it socks. I love the title. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what our, we do here uh, <laughs> we yeah, do. On, on the second Saturday of every month. We give it socks. We give it socks <laughs> and we give it willy. This is it. So, um, yeah. So in Tralee, uh, in Shim Satira, that's on. And it's on later on as well in um, Castle Island. And Shim to have a full programme actually for the day, which is fantastic. Can't leave out the stole, Joe. Loads happening. There's a little squirrels workshop. Isn't that lovely? Uh. Sure, you, we'd want to go to that just to see what it's about. Um, and then there's a draw, colour, write workshop. And then author Olivia Hope, who's just fantastic, is doing a beautiful workshop in the Stowe Library. And uh, in Kinmare, then they're organising fantastic events down at the Carnegie. And there's STEAM workshops as well in Carsevine Library. And these go from age seven right up to age 18. You, you pre-book uh, and at different times they're on. And it's all about um, in- including creativity with the sciences, which is really interesting and really important. And there's youth acting workshops in Kinmare as well. Sing with your heart. Isn't that lovely down in Kinmare? Mm. And um, Dingle. We have the Fanzinis doing a fabulous show. And when I was back at Filna Bialtina, Joe, I had the pleasure of seeing the school's um, marching bands. And they're going to perform later on that evening. Up the back of On These Shirt, there's a beautiful garden that has an outdoor performance area. And it's up in the bandstand area. It's an outdoor bandstand area. And they're going to perform there. And that's only some of it. So go to the website. We have a few online events as well for people who can't get out and about on the day. There is some... Um, Japanese paper cutting art workshops and there's also a spinning plates workshop. Now, I suppose I should say with caution, but um, <laughs> the, the plates can actually be collected from the libraries. It's it's similar to the juggling balls last year, so people can contact their local library and book in and then there's tutorials online and again, you can book in to your tutorial and you can learn how to do some circus skills. Excellent. Well, wow, it sounds like it's going to be a great one. I always think about Crenoon and Og that for some young people here, this is going to be life-changing for them and it's going to set them on a path of creativity that they'll have for the rest of their lives. So it's so inspiring, so. isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, hope great. so, Joe. And just to say, like Crenoon and Og is fully sponsored by Creative Ireland. So it's through the Creative Ireland programme that Kerry County Council roll out. Uh, so part of Creative Ireland, Kerry, but we couldn't do it without support from the department and the minister's office, which is brilliant. And again, as you say, we've over 30 events across the county all free so please if you think your child might enjoy it or you have a teenager who's looking for something to try a bit different in terms of creative activity just have a look at the programme and if there's something there for you do get involved and if there isn't let us know and we'll try and have it next year Brilliant Kate Kennelly as always it's a pleasure thanks a million for coming on and we look forward to talking to you next month Thanks Joe that's all we have time for. My thanks to Abigail Bernard, who was on sound. Francis is on the way, so keep it here on Radio Kerry. I'll be back again next Saturday from 9am. Until then, look after yourself. And The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you in association with Sean Lynch and John O'Reilly. Hogan's Funeral Home, Tralee.